Hey dreamers, I'm Joe Pardo and my guest today is making his dreams come true by helping people improve personal finances. Um, personal finances get, you know, if, if you can't get your personal finances in, in check, how are you expected to get your business finances in check? And uh, so I'm really looking forward to to getting into all of that and more, and maybe even something that we talked a little bit before about uh, student finances and, and student loans and that whole complex involved. Dreamers, I'd like to welcome to the show, Jordan Goodman. Great to be with you, Joe. Great to have you here. Thank you so much for taking the time to be on the Dreamers podcast. You bet. You, uh, uh, if you could get started by giving some background about yourself, sure. I, I'd really appreciate it. So I'm known as America's Money Answers Man because I've been answering people's personal financial questions for over 35 years. Uh, I started in uh, at Cape Cod, and uh, my, my first job as age 12 was as a columnist for the Cape Cod Times writing a youth baseball column. How about that? It goes all the way back there. Uh, I grew up in Rhode Island, went to Moses Brown School, went to Amherst College, took my junior year in London School of Economics in London, went to Columbia School of Journalism, and always wanted to do journalism, but a combination of journalism and business. I call myself a journalist slash entrepreneur. Um, and so I, then after uh, Columbia, I went to Money Magazine, where I was there for 18 years, NBC News for nine years, Marketplace Radio for six years. I've done 13 books on different aspects of personal finance, uh, like Master Your Money Type, uh, The Dictionary of Financial Investment Terms, Fast Profits and Hard Times, The Ultimate Guide to Student Loans. I could go, I don't want to list them all, but anyway, lots of different <laughs> books. And so I'm regular on all kinds of radio shows, TV shows. Uh, my website is moneyanswers.com and got a lot of resources and links there. Take people's emails on all kinds of financial questions, give speeches, do podcasts. I've got my own radio show called The Money Answers Radio Show. So that that's my passion is to help people with all aspects of their personal finance uh, that in many cases they're, they're either not educated about or they're not taking care of it or they don't know what to do or all the resources that I can bring to them, they've never heard about in many cases. And a lot of these relate to small businesses and how businesses can run their business better. Um, so briefly, that's kind of a, a sense of where I'm at. Wow, wow, wow. So, man, so so – you, I mean, you sound. I mean, it sounds like I, <laughs> I'm a, a younger version of you as far as how many things that we we have, we put on our plate to uh, to get accomplished, right. from right. book writing to 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 journal like write you know writing journalistically, uh, radio and podcasting and content creation as a whole and and then helping people and wanting to help people. That's, totally, that's, that's uh, what it's about. Because people, I mean, people go through K through twelve college. All, get wonderful degrees. They know everything about the French Revolution and Greek philosophy and Egyptian pottery. But what do I do with my 401k or how do I get out of credit card debt or which is the best mortgage I should get or how much life insurance do I need? This is a complete mystery to most people. So that's my mission is helping fill that gap that's been created because people go through school without having a clue what to do with their money. You know, one of the most, and I, I may or may not have said this on the show before, one of the most uh, important high school classes I took was uh, creative living, where I learned about those little things like checkbook balancing and how yep. to go about renting an apartment. Not not that I ever actually rented an apartment, but but those things where it's like, hey, th this is how you go about doing this, the process, the things you should be looking for, and all that. And it was, to me, it, it was, it, it's still 
you know, rings true to me. And I, and, and most people should take those types of uh, classes if afforded to them. But they don't. And you go through school, particularly college. I actually, I mean, I speak on colleges a lot and I was actually went to a specific college. I was in a town and I talked to the head of the economics department. So I'd like to give a speech on, you know, real life uh, skills, what you do with your 401k, how to rent, keeping your credit score, all these things. And I said, Oh no, 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 we're not doing that. That's too practical. That's the way he put it. It's like, that's not academically rigorous enough. They'll learn about that when they get out of here. That's exactly what he said. So this is the attitude on campuses. Is this is too real world? That that's not academically, you know, up to standards. It's crazy, but that's the way they think there. Wow! Like I mean, <laughs> I could kind of, I, I like I, I kind of understand where where they're coming from, but I also like. I, it's not like every speaker they're going to bring in is going to be talking about the same thing that you're exactly. talking about. So it's not like, well, we can only have one speaker a year. Yeah, I think you're just going to have to take a back seat till they get to the real world. And that I would understand. But it's like, really? Like, you could have, you know, a speaker every day on campus right. if they really and wanted I, I, to. I mean, when I do it, they love it because these are things that are real world, particularly seniors who are about to kind of get out in the real world. And they want these skills. How am I supposed to rent my first – what is a security deposit? What does my credit score look like? I mean, this is like a completely new language for them. You know, they're into <laughs> algebraic algorithms and all kinds of high-tech things that are unrelated to the real world in many cases. So that's where I come in. So that's at the, that level, but all the way through. I mean, I'm talking to people in their 60s who have money sitting around earning nothing in savings accounts and CDs. I'm talking to people who have huge amounts of credit card debt and don't know how to get out of that. Businesses – that don't know how to get financing, I can help help with that. Businesses that are piled under in debt, I can help with that. I mean, this is what I've been doing for a long, long time. So I want to bring some specific strategies and resources to your listeners to really help them make the most of their situations. Well, you know, so so we're all about the business lesson. So why don't we start with with starting if you if you wanted to start a business, right? I think that's a good place uh-huh. to start. Um, at, but you you have things like, and it's you know, student loans is one thing, but I mean, you could have. I have a family. I have a house with a mortgage and and things like that. What what's uh what's some of the things that you would you know give the advice you would give based around? I want to start a business, but. I, I'm, I'm covered in debt. So the first thing about a business is to see where the demand is from and then what do you bring to it that's not already in the marketplace to help people solve their problems. That's the, the basis of a strong business. Okay, And I'm, I've done this time after time after time. I see what, what people need and then I deliver it. And that makes for success. Okay, I mean, the most recent book I did is called The Ultimate Guide to Student Loans. We talked about that. People are piled under in student loan debt. The average person having 38000 in student loan debt. A lot of people way more than that. That's a problem. How do I help solve that problem? So I went and found the best resources. For example, there's a place that will help you refinance your student loan debt to like 2% interest rates instead of much, much higher rates. That's a great thing that most people don't know about. So I can put the people who need it together with the people who supply it. I take something in between as an affiliate relationship, and it's a win-win-win. But it all starts with what the problem is first, and then I go out and find the solution. And that's true for any business. Why do people need it? And, and what's a, a hole in the marketplace that is not being served right now? People with huge amounts of student loan debt didn't know they could refinance their student loans. It only came on in the last two or three years. 
But because I've got the voice on the media and TV and radio and my website, I, I can be the perfect vehicle to get the people who need it to the service that they don't even know exists to help them. So that, to me, is the core of making a successful business. You know, I, I, uh, me and my wife do get, and it's funny because I, I don't have any student loan debt, but me and my wife both get things in the mail for student loan debt. And, you know, I, I mean, and, and it's probably um, the, the marketer in me. And I'm always leery of anything, <laughs> anything to that nature. There's some scams in there. There have been some terrible scams in there. That, that's another part of a successful business is dealing with people with integrity and vetting things and checking them out very carefully because you've only got one reputation and you can lose it if you deal with people that are not good. So, yes, I mean, that's part of what I do. I look at the problem find what I can find to be the best solution out there, and then put the two of them together. In the case of the student loan financing, I'm talking about it, the place I work with is called Credible, C-R-E-D-I-B-L-E, and their website, Credible.com, and then you put backslash money answers. They know it's me that way. You get 200 bucks off your first payment on your when you're paying your loan back. And they actually have about five or six different lenders that they'll take you to, and then you find what's the best deal for you. So it's not just only one place. It's kind of like, think of it as like a clearinghouse of different places that'll help you refinance your student loans. But I've checked them out very carefully and know all about them and make sure that they, they do a good job. And so, you know, my reputation is intact in, in and I've really helped people with a huge problem, which is their student loan debt problem. Hmm. Yeah, I, I think, uh, and even as a as a business owner and, and being able to recommend other things like, like that, it's, it, I mean, to me, it's always nerve wracking because it's like, I hope I did all my due diligence. I hope I didn't miss anything. I hope you that do the best you can. You, you know, do the best you can. And, but you're and right. And if anything goes wrong, believe me, I'm right back at them. You know what happened, and right. they know that. <laughs> so I keep them accountable. And sometimes things go wrong, and I go right to the CEO, and here's the email from the person: something didn't go right. Fix it, and they will. I mean, I've got a lot of power that way. I always say that you have audibility and visibility creates credibility, and credibility creates opportunity. Because when you have, when you're credible, and I've been doing this a long time, opportunities come along. People want to be part of your your business circle, I guess you might say. Um, so for somebody starting out, first of all, find the, the need, find your passion, what you really think you can bring to the situation, then build audibility, like through a podcast, visibility, if you can get on TV and doing videos on YouTube. Now you've got some credibility. I mean, like you, you were in the auto parts business and you had no visibility at all until three years ago. And you've got this wonderful podcast going. It's given you credibility to have that audibility, which which then creates other opportunities. In your case, allows you to be a successful business consultant. And get to have people like you on. Three years ago, right? <laughs> no, it didn't. It, I mean, it, it, well, it, it did right out. It actually, it did right out of the gate. I was consulting for a, a couple of really small businesses at the time. Um, but you know, I I think that for me, uh, you know, looking well, going going back to the example of of student debt, like I didn't have. Uh, I didn't have student debt, but I had, a, you know, a mortgage and, and, and car payment yeah. and, and a wife to, to, uh, you know, be held accountable to and, and all that. So, um, I know from my personal experience, it was very difficult to make that, that call of like, yeah, I'm just, you know what, I'm, I'm done. I'm leaving. I'm out. And, 
Um, I mean, it took me four years of, of thought to, to get to that level, which I'm glad I didn't yeah. leave sooner because I learned so much in those last four years right. of me being there. Like Some like people do that. They just ton. quit their jobs. without. You always have to have the next boat ready before you step out of this boat. And I, I mean, I did that. I was at Money Magazine for 18 years. Great experience. Learned a lot. But when I left, it's because, frankly, they needed me more than I needed them at that point. And everything that I'd pr- produced, all the books, radio relationships, TV relationships, all that, speeches, came with me. Because at that point, it was me, not the magazine anymore. When I started, I wasn't anybody. you know. So over time, you have to kind of – but I, I had my next boat ready when I left Money Magazine in a completely amicable way. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I, and that's probably an issue that they, you know, all all media uh, outlets run into is, is that the the person becomes a bigger bigger than the right. than the venue, um, in which they're performing at or performing out of, um, and you know, I, for me, I, you know, I mean, obviously, I'm still on the way the way up <laughs> to, to for yes, that to, for that yes, even mattering, but um, but you know, I. I I would say you know enjoying that that journey and uh, having the next boat ready. I mean, me personally, yeah, no, I definitely didn't have the next boat ready at all. In fact, I didn't even know about this podcast until a month after I left. Yeah. Four years of thinking about leaving, and I didn't even know what my journey was going to look like wow. until a month after I left. But you didn't have the next boat ready, really? So. Uh, no. I well, I oh oh, you know what? No, I take that back. It, it was it, my next boat ready was. I started going back to college to get my associate's degree uh, about seven months before I left. Uh-huh. Um, but that wasn't any kind of guarantee. I mean, it was no. like <laughs> community college. And even then, I'm like, I don't really know what I'm doing here. And and even my teachers are like, we don't know what you're doing here. Um, <laughs> because they're like, you don't really need this. And what do you, you know, and then what's next? A bachelor's degree? Yeah, I was taking like one class yeah, at a time. was not ready. <laughs> no, it was not ready. It was, you know, so that's that quite was risky. like a I'm, I'm glad plan. it worked out well. Yeah. And, and in a certain way, without even knowing me at that time, you kind of followed my... Um, strategy of creating <laughs> credibility through your podcast and then that leads to other things so yes there's... yeah so um so why don't uh why don't we get into so you get you gave a little bit about how you got started you know as a as a kid uh you know being a journalist and all that why don't why don't we talk about your the some of the first steps you took once you decided to leave the magazine and be like i'm i'm doing i'm doing this this is real but remember and... it, I was magazine starting in 1979. That's when I started. Wow. 1997. So I was there for 18 years. It's been 20 years since I left. But early on, the early 80s, I started doing radio shows on behalf of the magazine and then TV. I was on Financial News Network every week before CNBC. Uh, And I started doing the books. My first book was The Dictionary of Finance and Investment Terms, which came out in 1984. It's now in its... Ninth edition, I'm about to do the 10th edition. It's sold three and a half million copies. But that was a well-known book out there for a long, long time. So I'd done a lot of things before I decided to leave. I mean, my boat was ready, I guess you might say. Um, At a certain point, I mean, I'll just, I'll tell you exactly what the, there was a turning point. It's like, this isn't working for me, it's working for them. And we got to reverse the tables here. I brought a deal to Money Magazine uh, called Medical News Network, MNN, which was a uh, uh, TV network going to doctors all over the country. And I knew a guy there, and I made a deal 
where I would do a weekly financial segment for them aimed at doctors. And I'd get, well, <laughs> Money Magazine would get $5,000 a week for doing it, okay? Well, that I brought the deal to Money. I did all the work, which was a lot of work, interviewing, editing, doing camera work, the whole thing. And I brought this deal to Money because it was the Money Magazine you know, thing with their logo and all that. And I talked to the publisher and said, you know, this is a great deal. He said, oh, very nice, thank you, you know. And they just took all the money, $5,000 a week. And I said, but I brought the deal. I'm, do I'm doing all the work. Shouldn't I get some of it? He said, well, we'll talk to you at the end of the year. They gave me a $1,500 bonus for having brought in what's 5,000 times 50. I mean, it was a lot of money. It's like, no, this is not working anymore. This is oh, like, it's 5,000 a week, not 5,000 a month. 5,000 a week. Wow. It was a lot of work. Each week. Is... Each week was like a six or seven minute segment, a whole TV segment with interviews and graphics and a lot of work and the ideas behind it and all that. Um, so it's like, okay, I got it. You know, they'll take whatever I give them. And they didn't bring anything to the party. They brought the logo of Money Magazine to the party. <laughs> that was about it. Wow. It's like, so I, I said anything else. And I mean, I'd go out and give speeches and my speaking fee would go to Money Magazine. It's like, now, wait a minute. I'm doing all the work. I'm setting all this up. So at a certain point, it's like uh, this: the balance is out of balance here. You know, Yes, I'm getting a salary. Yes, I'm getting benefits. Yes, I'm being part of Money Magazine. But I don't need them anymore, frankly. And so that was the, the turning point where I said, any, why should I bring any deal to them? They're just going to take the whole thing. I mean, I, what is it, $250,000, I guess, if it's 5000 a week for 50 weeks, whatever it is. It, it didn't mean anything to money. My money magazine's uh, revenues for a year are $100 million. So 250 meant nothing to them, you know. But to me, it was like, not only financially, but it was a hell of a lot of work, you know. So anyway, maybe there's an, a, an allegory in there. It's like at a certain point, you've got to look out for yourself. And I'd been pouring myself late nights, all kinds of crazy things for many, many years and learned a lot. But that was, to me, the turning point as to why I left. Yeah. So in, in hindsight, um, I, I'm assuming you didn't, you don't regret it at all. No, not at all. Not at all. So once you, so once you had left, what was some of the things that you did to, to get, cause now you didn't have, I mean, obviously you had your name, you had your contacts, but you didn't have the name of, of money magazine standing behind Correct. you to like what I call mother time. You didn't have the mothership behind you anymore. Uh, yeah. Right. So, so it's but, like saying like I former like CNN anchor, former CNN, you know, and then it's like, you're out on your own trying to make it. It's it was still, fun. It was still <laughs> but fun. you're right. You're right. It was. So, so my whole model from then until now, and, and still the same, is uh, affiliate, the affiliate model. And so my goal is to bring to listeners, website visitors, people who are in my audiences for speeches, bring them good financial service and advice of various types, okay? So I had a, I'd been there for 18 years. I had huge amounts of relationships and I'd done stories about people and I knew who was really good in many, many areas. And I said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to tell people about those things in a really good way. I know they're all vetted as good. And then I get an affiliate fee for any time business happens. And that's been my model ever since. And it's worked out really, really, really well. I've helped a lot of people find out about things they would never know about otherwise. And meanwhile, given the service, tremendous business they wouldn't have had other. I'll just give you one example. There's a place I work with called Truth Inequity, truthinequity.com. 
I've given them over 50,000 leads in the last 10 years or so. They help people pay their mortgages off, a 30-year mortgage in about five to seven years on their existing level of income. It literally transforms people's lives where instead of you're, you're 25, instead of paying your mortgage off at 65, you're, you know, you're going to pay it off at 30, something like that, on your existing level of income. Wow. So it's, it's a mind-blowing thing that most people never heard about before. You'll never hear about this from a bank. I wrote a chapter about them in one of my books, Master Your Debt, called Mortgage Free in Five to Seven Years. So, so that's how it works. The way I found out about them, I was on a radio show in Kansas City, and the guy called in, and I was talking about mortgages. He said, well, have you heard about mortgage optimization? Where I said, no, I don't. So he called me afterwards. We talked. I checked into them very, very carefully. And uh, I remember doing a – I was on Fox News about them. And I think they got 5,000 leads in the first minute or something like that. Blew out GoDaddy or something like that. And it, it really, really helped a lot of people. So that's an example of something I knew about at Money Magazine. But I was able to monetize it. And really help a lot of people pay their mortgages off literally 25 years faster than they ever thought possible. Wow. And, and that became the model for all the other things I do as well as affiliates. So the key, if, if you want one word that's the key to succeeding in business, in my view, that one word is leverage. And by leverage, I do not mean debt. I mean leveraging your knowledge, your relationships, your finances with those of others and the two of you combined can do a lot more than each of you individually. So in the case of truth and equity, what I bring to the party is getting the word out about them on radio shows, on TV shows. I mean, they couldn't get on Fox and give them 5,000 leads in a minute, right? But I could do that. What they're good at is doing the service, helping people understand how to pay their mortgages off much faster. But the two of us combined is much more powerful than them out there having this great service and nobody knowing about it. And me not be able to offer them a great service they've never heard about. So it's a win-win, and the customer wins too because they get a service they've never heard even exists. So I've done that with many, many different affiliates, and I think for a lot of small business people, that is the key, leveraging what you know, what your vendors can do, what your customers can do, and then the sky's the limit, and particularly for a solopreneur. I mean, as an individual, and I'm a solopreneur, you can only do so much. There's only 24 hours in the day, and supposedly you sleep a little bit. You're just limited. In the, if you, if it's based, if you're trading time for money, you're just limited because you've only got so much time. But with leverage, there's no limit as to how much you can grow. So, how how did your family take it that you wanted to be? A, I mean, working from the age of 14, writing a column uh, to to be a journalist. Well, I, they loved it. I mean, my father was a professor at Brown in Rhode Island. Uh, he, had, he had one job in his whole life. He graduated from Columbia, got his PhD, 1955. He was at Brown until 1990. He was there for 35 years and never had another <laughs> job. <laughs> so, the, the opposite of what we do today, you know, is have many different careers and many different jobs. But uh, I was always from a beginning uh, kind of an entrepreneurial journalist. I'll tell you another story kind of in my early years. That's kind of fun. Not only was I writing for the, the Cape Cod Times, the youth baseball column, but I was delivering it. Starting at age nine, I was delivering the paper and I'd hang around the newsroom a little bit and so on. And that's where the youth baseball thing came up. I said, you should really have a column. There's all these leagues around Cape Cod. There's the Dennis League and the Yarmouth League and the Falmouth League and the Chatham League and all that. And I said, I bet you could sell a lot of papers. 
So every time I'd write a column, which was once a week on Sundays, they said they'd sell four papers for every name I'd mentioned. The kid hit a home run and the grandmother wants a copy. And, you know, I'm like, <laughs> so I'm kind of like, okay. And then I'm hanging around the newsroom and then outside the printing press area, there was a ton of papers. And I said to the press guy, so what happens to these? Well, that's the overrun. We just throw them away. I said, well, do you mind if I take them? He said, no, we're going to throw them away anyway. So here's my entrepreneur. And here's members creating the demand first. So I said, well, where could I sell these things? Well, the, the ferries go over in Hyannis Harbor, go over to Martha's Vineyard in Nantucket. And that's right near where my house was. So I would go pick up the papers that were free. I had zero cost of goods. And I'd go down in my bicycle with my wire baskets and all that and sell the newspapers on the ferries as people were going over to Nantucket. And they'd just be one after another. And I'd just run out of papers. I'd go back and get more. They didn't have to throw out the papers that way. And I'd make two or $300 a day. My hands were black with ink by the end of the day. And I'm like 12 doing this. <laughs> <laughs> so I was not only writing for the paper, but I was delivering it and literally selling it the excess to the ferries by age 12. No, nobody there thought, like, why are we printing excess? They always do that. They just always print more than they need. Oh. And they just sit there. They just throw them out. So that well, I guess that's when that. money was just flowing from the news. The newspaper. Maybe industry. it's different today for newspapers, but <laughs> there was the supply. My demand was the ferries, and I went put the two together and made it. You know, I think we, this was like in the seventies. I think it was twenty five cents for the paper, but I'd um, sell a lot of them. <laughs> yeah, clearly, if you're pulling in a uh, hundred to what did you say two hundred, three hundred dollars a day. But there's a lot of people on the boat, and so I I got my technique down. The first time I'd just go around, just say, you know, here's a paper, and nobody would buy it the first time. After they're sitting there for like four or five minutes with nothing to do. They said, well, let me get one. And then everybody would see that and everybody give me one of those. And by the time the boat took off, whatever, three quarters of the people had bought papers, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Wow. (laughs) So that's my early journalist entrepreneur story, I guess you might say. It's been the same ever since. I'm helping people, but also making a good living at it. And and the affiliate model is what works for me. And I, so I'm always looking for new resources to help small businesses and individuals. And there's lots of them out there that are great services that most people have never heard about. I mean, you've probably never heard about a way to pay your mortgage off in five years, right? Not one that I would consider that isn't probably a scam. Sure. <laughs> that's, where I, that's where the credibility comes in, right? Yeah, yeah. Because they yeah, know yeah. it's me and they know it's for real. And I've written a chapter about it in my book. So it is for real. People are often like, well, never heard of that, that before. I said, well, you're never going to hear about that from a banker. They want you to pay for 30 years and even better refinance and start the clock all over again. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've only refinanced once, and that was to go from 30 – I think at the time it was 25 years left down to 15, and now we're – that was like two years ago, so we're probably down to like 12 years. But I've been paying faster anyway. So, well, I mean, Offline, I'll tell you, you could pay that off in about three years. On your existing income. <laughs> we can talk about that afterwards. We can talk about that afterwards. I, okay. I would be, that would be amazing. That would be amazing. Yes. Um, <laughs> so, so outside of, of, of broadcast outside of podcasting and, and, and just content creation in general, what, what's your, what's your hobby? Uh, music. I love music. I listen to classical music all the time. Sailing. I mean, I grew up in Hyannis on Cape Cod, so I, I was on the sailing team and loved 
love sailing. Um, travel. Uh, I've got a place down in Nicaragua that we go to. I'm going to go oh, two wow. weeks. That's uh, not something you hear uh, very often. <laughs> no. It's a little off the beaten path, but uh, it's a beautiful place. They're very, very friendly down there. It's, I say it's the most capitalist, communist place on earth because officially it's communist, but they're very, very welcome to capitalists and people bringing in resorts and so there we go. So I do some unusual. I didn't. I I did, was not aware that they were communist. Oh yeah. Well, remember there's only three Ortega. communist countries left in the in the world: Cuba, uh, North Korea, and uh... Venezuela. Maybe. Yeah. No but wait. That's... Actually, I was going to say I I don't know what I was. Gonna... Oh, China, 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 China for sure. Yeah. No, Daniel Ortega, who was the original revolutionary in the seventies, who took over and ruined the country, actually got voted out by a conservative because he had ruined the country so much and then he reformed and then he got voted back in. He's still president today and he's a communist. All around uh, Nicaragua you'll see pictures of Che Guevara and Fidel Castro. And so. Wow. <laughs> that's that's the, the rhetoric but the reality is bring your dollars gringos and we treat you really, really nice. <laughs> <laughs> that's one of my hobbies. <laughs> I'd love to help small businesses. Otherwise, can we go to some of those areas? Because I, I know what they need. Yeah. Well, I, what, down down there? No, no. I'm talking about on our podcast now. Oh, There's yeah. specific things I'd love to help your audience with that I know their problems are, and I've got solutions. Yes, 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 yes. Let me just remind everybody real quick that they're listening to the Dreamers podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Joe Pardo, and joining me is uh, – with money expert, personal finance expert, fall into the realm of that's what I could call. You, call that's what you. I am. They call me America's money answers man, but I'm a personal finance expert. Yes, Jordan Goodman, and uh, we're you know we're talking about personal finance and uh, business finance. Like let, let's go a little bit deeper into the the business finance end of yes. it. Yes, um, because yes. it is really easy. To fall into the, uh, you know, we're making a profit, but at the end of the day, there's no money. <laughs> right. We're put, put, putting all the money back in, and you're not even taking a salary out of it, and it, it just eats you alive, right? I mean, you're, mm-hmm. the, you're working for the business. The business is not working for you is kind of the way it works. So, yeah, you want to prioritize that. So several problems that can be get you over that. The first one is debt because a lot of businesses go into debt. And get overwhelmed by it because they expand too fast or they don't really have a kind of a cash flow plan. And so when you get into too much debt, it's a bad thing. And particularly, you want to keep any business debt separate from your personal debt. And that's one of the biggest mistakes people make when they're starting a business. They do it as a sole proprietorship and run the business out of their personal account and say it's successful. I mean, you should start a business assuming it's going to be successful, then trying to Pull the two apart is always a royal pain. If you borrowed against your personal credit cards for your business or you've done a home equity line of credit to financial business, then pulling them apart is a royal pain. So ideally, the best way to do it is to set it up from the beginning as a separate business entity, its own taxpayer ID number. There are different structures. You can use an LLC, Limited Liability Corporation, Limited Partnership, LP, um, you can use a subchapter S. There's a bunch of different possibilities, but whatever it is, set it up. And I always say when you set up a business, set it up so you can sell it. It should be structured so it could be five years, it could be 30 years from now, but make it easy to sell. 
and also make it somehow, if you can, that it's not just you. There's something going on that's beyond you that could be passed on to somebody else. You've got customers, you've got a reputation. I mean, you're not going to last forever, but the business could last for a long, long time. And you want to create equity that you can sell somehow. And you want a business structure to support that as well. I mean, just to give you a simple example, say there was a dentist, okay? And he's got a business, he's got customers, he's got a reputation and all that. Well, at a certain point, he's retiring. Well, he doesn't just close up shop and say, I'm gone. He brings in a new dentist and over three or four years, introduces him to the clients. And by the time he's ready to retire, they already know the new guy. He's transferred the equity to somebody else and he'll get paid out over five years or so. But all of the good work that he did for many, many years is not just thrown away. So you want to do the same thing with your small business, whatever it may be. When you establish it in the first place, assume it's going to be successful and make it easy to sell down the road. No, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, that's one of the reasons why I didn't use my name for my consulting business. Good idea. If you look at the bottom of my website, yeah, it's superjoeparter.com today but at the bottom it says 234 solutions llc and and i remember my dad was like why didn't you just call it like joe pardo llc or something like that and i was like well the reason is is i don't a, I don't want to sell my name that because that's just yeah is you know i i have friends that have that's been a disaster for them um and the other reason is because right now today it's me but five years from now it's i have other consulting agents working in an agency exactly so then you create equity and that's an example of leverage you don't have to do it all yourself you can bring in the business but you can have other people actually doing the consulting and you are making money off of their work that's a classic example of leverage yeah, so you got the right bottle there. Absolutely, absolutely. So, so for me, it's like you know, it's all about asking the right questions to yourself and answering the right questions to get the answers that are going to you know. Because and me, I, I'm always about like, look, you got to build the business for your lifestyle because otherwise, your business will become your lifestyle, and that's right. not a healthy. That's not a healthy thing because businesses are a twenty four seven thing. Even if they're not open twenty four seven, they are twenty four seven. And you, you are not, you, you can't be 24 seven, right? Like we sleep businesses. don't I mean, sleep. Ideally, ideally you want to have passive income coming in while you're sleeping. That's the best kind of business out there. That's the, so, that's the one that's the, that's the goal, the golden standard everybody wants, <laughs> which is definitely possible. I mean, and particularly the internet today, I mean, say you're selling audio tapes or whatever online and you know, whatever it may be, you don't have to be there. It can be just generating that while you're sleeping. So I'm a big believer in passive income in all kinds of ways. And I've got lots of strategies. One of my books, I think I told you, was called Fast Profits and Hard Times. And I've got a whole section in there on ways of getting passive income. I could give you an example right now if you'd like. Yeah, go ahead. Be my guest. So a lot of people have their money sitting in a bank account, either business or personal bank account, earning zero, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Checking accounts, savings accounts, CDs, money markets, zero as far as the eye can see. Now, the banks love that because they take your money and they lend it back to you at 4% on a mortgage, at 13% on a credit card, at 8% on a business loan, whatever it may be. So you're giving the banks your money to make money off your money. <laughs> okay. I like to reverse the tables. And so, for example, there's something called a commercial real estate income fund where you get 8% super safely over one year, get monthly checks. At the end of the year, you get your money back. And you can either take the checks electronically into your checking account, or you can reinvest them to have your money compounding 8%. Complete passive. You don't have to do a thing. 
Invest in it. The minimum is $5,000. No commissions or fees. So I'm now making 8% while you're sleeping instead of having it sitting there through zero. A website for that, commercialrealestateincomefunds.com. And that's a, to be a classic example of, of passive income because what they're doing is lending money short term over one year to high quality commercial projects, development. Maybe they're improving something or rejiggering it one way or the other. Because the banking environment is so tight, uh, they, people can't get loans from banks, so they get from an alternative place like this. So that's why they're willing to pay a little bit of a higher rate over a short period of time because they know the development's going to work for them. Okay, I'll just give you an example of one of the ones they did recently. There was a guy that had a big house in a college town. I think it was Boulder, Colorado. And he'd been renting it out to two students forever. And he got a loan from the fund, and he rejiggered the house over a year and went from two apartments to four. So now the same building has doubled the cash flow of a year ago, forever. <laughs> okay, So obviously the value of the house went up dramatically when he's got four incomes instead of two every month. Okay, He couldn't get a loan from a bank to, to do this. So he knows it's willing. he's willing to pay 8%, 10%, whatever it was, because once it's done, his income just went up by 100%. So it's worth it to finance it short term by adding, this is what they call forced appreciation. And they do that all over the country, and they deal with the builders, developers that know what they're doing, and you are in a completely passive situation. You just get the income, and you don't have to do a thing. And it's widely diversified across the country, like 30 different states, and diversified by types. It's not only, I just mentioned student housing, they've got elder care, they've got shopping centers, apartment buildings, all kinds of different things. So you don't have to be an expert. You just put some money in there, minimum 5000 and now I've made you 8% of your money instead of zero. There's an example of passive income. So would you say that the 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 uh, the crash of 2008 was uh, better or worse for, for that situation? I guess it would be better, better because, yeah, better. because you couldn't get loans. But, exactly. but the thing is, is – The banks tightened up dramatically after that. So it was, it was better in that sense, but it, did it hurt them? Were they did they not do risky deals before that? No, they did. Their their style has always been this what they call forced appreciation model. Is it's not based on the values of real estate going up in a particular market. It's based on what's being done to the property that's adding value to it. So it's not a play on Boulder real estate going up in that case. It's a play on this particular project doubling in value because you're increasing the cash flow from it. Okay. okay. Right? So it, it, it's a different, I mean, in 2008, the real estate market, you know, it boomed and then crashed. There your play is on, is real estate value going to go up or down? That's a different game than this is altogether. All and that's why this is safer. The maximum they lend is 70% of the value of the property, 70%. So there's a big, what I call equity cushion, mm. meaning that the builder developer always has lots of skin in the game. They're doing the loan to improve it, not to lose it. Okay, so right, right. default rate is almost zero because who's going to walk away from their property that they put their heart and soul and they own a huge amount in? They're doing it because they know it makes sense. Hmm. Okay. So, yeah, there was an example where there was a need in the marketplace for people to get loans that they couldn't get otherwise. Just because a bank says no doesn't mean you don't want to do your project. And so there was the need. And then there was a need from the customers, the, the investors, to get a higher return than 8%, than zero, and they love 8%, and I put the two together. 
and and got an experienced real estate team that does the whole thing. Wow. So again, I saw the need first on both sides: the need from the people to borrow to get their deals done, and the need for people to earn higher returns on their money. Putting the two together, it's a great thing. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. I, um, yeah, I remember uh, like years and years ago about uh, was it ING was like, oh, we're we're giving was it like three percent back on the savings account. It's like, oh my yeah. god, you can't get that. Like, it's <laughs> right. like it's a whole three percent, a whole three percent. But today you'd have to go out five years maybe to get one percent, maybe, probably not even. Wow. But here's eight. Here's eight. And by the way, when they sell the buildings. Some of the profits come back to the shareholders as well. So in the case of that uh, student loan housing, if he sold the building, some of the profits would come back to you as a shareholder. You might get another point or two on top of the 8%, uh, depending on what building sells during any particular quarter. Wow. Huh. Isn't that neat? These are the kind of things people don't know about. I I mean, I knew there was alternative methods to get money. I um, didn't know how legit any of that, that was. Well, again, um, I check these things out super, super carefully and know the managers who've been doing this for 30 years. And But you're right. I mean, there's a natural suspicion, which is good because there's a lot of scamsters out there. Yeah. Always yeah, yeah. in the whole financial world, you know. Uh, I was mentioning debt. I just want to help you small businesses with another area because – when they get piled under in debt, what they typically do is they pay the squeakiest creditor. The squeakiest wheel gets the grease. That's the wrong thing to do. What you want to do is pay the creditors that have the most leverage over your business, the most power to put you under. Okay, They may not be the squeakiest, but they're the most important. So there's a whole strategy of what I call debt prioritization, where you pay the businesses that have the most power over you and pay the other businesses less later. <laughs> okay. So for example, doing a dramatic example, say you have your electric company, like they could shut your lights off and turn you down, turn you away tomorrow. Say you did some contract three years ago, you never followed through with some lawyer. He has no power over you, right? Don't pay the lawyer first, pay your utility first. And that's true for all your different vendors. Okay, so a typical small business who's in a lot of debt is getting bombarded by letters and calls, pay me first. And he just responds to who's screaming at him loudest. And that's the worst thing to do. So there's a website that can help people in that circumstance called helpwithpayables.com. And what they do is they have a very sophisticated system to prioritize each creditor to make sure you're paying the right amount to the right person. So the ones with the most leverage get more money sooner, and the ones with the least leverage get less money later. And you pay them, they pay the creditors, and you can get back to running your business. This is a big problem for a lot of people is they got a lot of business and they don't know how to deal with creditors. There's a simple way right there, helpwithpayables.com. I mean, so much of... Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, so much of business is is debt management, right? Like it is. You know, it's like okay, well, we can move it to the, you know this credit line to the, the, the these credit cards over to this credit card. Like you, you're just constantly managing it. But but yeah, absolutely. Like the most important thing is is what's going to give you profit, right? Like if if if, right. if you're if if it's the electric company versus that the lawyer, or if it's this product, you know that like vendor that we need to buy stuff so we can generate profit with that money. Like that's really, really important versus something that's like not so important to, to necessarily get paid. Um, right. But, you know, I, I, I think in 
and from from my aspect of the the um, psychological standpoint of it, and and I, I've seen it countless times in in both person and in example uh, in examples of the thing is 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 as that that debt grows over you, it becomes a a burden, right? And it's not just like. I'm not a stupid person. I I know how to do these things, but, but it's just like the pressure and it's like, and nobody will like, most people don't want to admit like, Oh, this is a, this is a mental thing. This is an emotional thing. That's, that's pulling down, pulling you down and, and ultimately pushing you into like a depression in a lot of cases where you just start shutting down. What most small businesses will do or the business owners is they hide under the desk. They don't open the mail. They don't want to answer the phone. They want to run away from their debts. It only gets worse if you ignore people. So this is a place that will do it for you. And they've done this for thousands of businesses. Last time I talked to them, they said about 75 or 80% of the businesses they dealt with, they've saved. That otherwise would have gone under because of this debt prioritization idea. Wow. I'll tell you, the most, uh, the worst debt for small businesses right now are what are called merchant cash advances, MCAs. And what they do is they'll make an unsecured loan to you very quickly over a day or so. And then they will take over your credit card processing and take fees out of your credit card processing every day. The end result is an interest rate of like 30 or 40%, but you get your money quickly. It's unsecured, but they, they got now get a hold of your business. I call it the payday lending of small businesses, basically, because <sighs> you kind of get on this treadmill and you need one merchant cash advance to pay off the next one and it goes higher and the interest rate's higher. And the people I just mentioned to help with payables – they said 90% of their businesses are those that got into trouble getting merchant cash advances. So I would say avoid merchant cash advances if you possibly can because it's a real way to sink your business. And payday loans while you're at it. Don't <laughs> avoid that. <laughs> payday loans are for individuals, but it's the same idea for businesses. Yeah, yeah. Because the interest rate's very, very high, and you need one to pay off another, and then you get sunk, basically. Yeah, abs- absolutely. Uh, uh, John Oliver did a great piece on, on payday loans. Yes. Um, it's very high interest rates, and a lot of ban- states have banned them now. But this whole uh, merchant cash advance, last I heard, there's about $600 billion in merchant cash advances outstanding. And the uh, Dodd-Frank law specifically excluded business loans from the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. It's only for consumers. Hmm. So they're getting away with murder as far as I'm concerned. So <laughs> small business listeners out there, forget, don't do the MCAs if you possibly can, can do so. There are better ways of getting financing, by the way. A lot of people don't realize, for example, hedge funds, they want to invest in small businesses, but they don't know how to do it. So what you do is you go to a clearinghouse that'll vet your small business and get you the best possible loan from untraditional sources, from alternative sources instead of banks. My favorite one there is called CorporateLendingSolutions.com, and they've been doing this for many, many years. So they know what sources of financing are available, depending on what you need. They vet you as a small business and say, here's what you can qualify for. And again, they put the two together, and people can get business loans as small businesses they wouldn't know about otherwise, not from the traditional banking system. Hmm. Hmm. So that's called CorporateLendingSolutions.com. Very cool. Very cool. See all these resources that exist? I mean, this is something most people don't have any clue of exists. Well, I, I, I have a question for you. As far as – so it was it's a very interesting time that you you – as far as a year that you decided to leave the, uh, the bunny magazine, 1997. And it, it stood out, you know, to me, it, 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 you know, it was a flag as soon as you said it, because I'm like, 
the internet was becoming a thing and right. those affiliate things were a thing that you could do in 1997 just the very beginning yes. yeah i mean it was just getting yeah obviously it was just getting started and all that but um but is it did that did that play a factor in in, in your did. decision it did the markets were booming and uh it was a great time people wanted when the markets are booming people want to kind of get in the game at that time people were doing a lot of day trading remember all these it was a ipos were going crazy yeah. and uh you know we just uh, lowered capital gains tax rates, so the internet was being funded. It was a great time to go out on your own. And, and again, because I had credibility and visibility from before, I was able to do it. People want to hear about personal finance when everything's going well. How can I get in on the game? How can I play? And that's what I was showing them how to do. And I'm still doing that. <laughs> I mean, I've been through the downers as well. In in uh, 1987, on the day of the crash, I was on Nightline with Ted Koppel saying, the world is not coming to an end tomorrow because they said, this is it. The market's down 500 points. We're all dead. You know, I said, no, no, it's not that bad. And I've been, you know, I've been to the crash of 2008, so I can do them on the downside as well as the upside. Uh, but it was a good time when things were going well to, to leave at that point. Yeah. And, and the, yeah. just the beginning of the internet was going and it, it, it was great. And, and I've always, I'm always looking ahead at what the next thing is going to be. So like in 2006, 2007, I think it's getting too hot. Things are going to turn down here. I'm not sure when or how. And that's when I did fast profits and hard times because I said, I think hard times are coming. So I want to give people hope on what to do when the hard times arrive. And lo and behold, the book came out in January 2008. And by the end of that year, the market was down 50%. And that's what people were looking for. Yeah, so I'm always yeah. kind of looking at the next thing. What's the next thing? No, I, I mean, I remember in, in 2000, uh, like 2007, my, you know, my grandfather was going on and on about, cause at that time he was stepping back from the company. So he was home a lot more with my grandmother who wasn't doing great. And he was, so he, he was watching and absorbing a lot of stuff. And he's like, you know, things, he's like, tough times are, are, are coming. He's like this, this whole, like, you know, housing bubble and all that. And I'm like, yes. I, don't, I don't know. I'm like <laughs> 20 you know, 22 years old or something like that at that time. And, and things have been great for the most part. Yeah. 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 And everything, had been, you know, come on. I grew up in the nineties, man. Like everything's great. Anything you want, like right. the extension <laughs> of the eighties was, was there, you know? Um, right. and, and continued well, well into, into then. But, but yeah, I, um, I'm curious oh, on, on that note, what, um, what's been the biggest roadblock for you? The biggest roadblock. Well, I mean, everybody in their career has a big downer at some point. You have to learn to recover from that. So should I tell you my big my big downer? Be my guest. <laughs> and this is – we talked about dealing with people with credibility. This is where I learned my lesson, okay? So I was at Money Magazine. This is like the 80s, early 90s. And uh, there was a guy named Sonny Block. This is kind of before your time, but Sonny Block was a very, very big radio guy. He'd been on national radio. He was on WOR in New York three hours a day for and like 300 stations around the country. I'd been on his station uh, as a regular guest for like 10 years. So I knew him really, really well. He had Paul Volcker on and Greenspan, all the big guys in, in Wall Street all the time, very reputable. So he'd done seven, well, kind of done. He'd put his name on, is a better way to put it, seven books. He'd never wrote a word of it, but he, he put his name on seven books and sold a ton of books before me. And he said, you know, we should really do a broad-based personal finance book. So I did it. It's called Everyone's Money Book. Came out 
1992. And he'd been doing some things that just worried me a little bit, but it's like, okay, we're going to move ahead. So there's a picture of the two of us on there. And then he gets indicted by the SEC for selling unregistered securities on his radio show. He was selling partnership interests in radio stations without having a registration or any kind of thing. And so the SEC went after him. He fled to the Dominican Republic where he married, he divorced his wife of 25 years with two kids. He married a Dominican printing baroness and was living on this big plantation. And he said, no, you can't come and get me. We have an, there's no extradition treaty, you know? So he was doing his broadcast from the Dominican estate. And it turns out there is a uh, extradition treaty and the FBI went and got him. Okay. And then he came back and they put him in jail and he's on the cover of the New York Post, Sonny in jail, you know, this big financial guy. And here I am on the cover with Sonny. I'm at Money Magazine. And, you know, it's like, I didn't do anything wrong, but I picked the wrong guy. <laughs> and um, I remember trying to, you know, go into jail to get him to agree to take his name off, which he did. So we immediately came out with another edition of the book without him on it. But it was a major downer and embarrassment, even though I hadn't done anything wrong, to be associated with somebody who did a lot of things wrong. And so what I learned from this is you really got to vet people carefully. And if there's something smelly or you don't feel that your gut instinct is not right, listen to your gut. Because there were some things along the way, even before that, that he'd done. He was selling some things that you know didn't seem quite right. But again, a well-established person I'd done, dealt with for 10 years. You know? So that's that's that was the big downer and the big roadblock to my career was being associated with Sunny Block. And, and yet so close to when you decided to leave. Just, well, that was know, 1992. Oh, it was 92. Oh, okay. 92, okay. and I left in 97. So I was way past that. And believe me, the moment all the stuff hit, I went right back to him and to the publisher and said, we've got to have another edition with him off of it. And he agreed because he, he didn't want to drag me down, you know. Wow, so that, that was I nice. remember he was, he, was was nice in <laughs> he was in the tombs in New York, which if you know is the jail, you know, kind of the worst place there. And I had to figure out how to get a note to him because I opened all the mail, you know, my note was, you know, can you just sign this thing, giving me permission to do an edition without you? And he signed it. I got it back. So, so there's my dramatic story. You know, wow. everybody's got a downer story and there it is. Wow. 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 Yeah. That's, uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, you know, when you're dealing with somebody for 10 years you, you, and you think you know them. <laughs> right. Um, right. It, and it was fine for 10 years. But when things go wrong, I mean, I was so far into it at that point. The book had already come out. You know, I, I couldn't stop it at that point. But the moment something happened, I, I changed. But I think in business relationships, you really have to be – listen to your, your gut. Listen to your gut instinct. And a lot of people don't do that. And they move ahead anyway, and your, your gut is often right. So that's that's what I learned from the whole Sunny instances. Deal with <laughs> reputable people. Check them out as carefully as you can. If something goes wrong, cut your losses quickly. So I, I think I know what your answer is going to be for this next question. But uh, what was your childhood dream growing up? Maybe before you started working for the newspaper. <laughs> in, in, the, in, in the crib? In, yes. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I always loved doing media. I just, from the very beginning, loved you know radio and TV. And I just always wanted to be in the media somehow. I wasn't sure what the subject matter was going to be. I didn't do financial stuff to Columbia School of Journalism, really. I did, you know, I did sports. I did all kinds of other things. I just loved writing stories and getting the word out on things. 
And it was at the, the graduate school that I came up with finance because finance is something that touches on real people. And you can see all the things we've talked about affect people directly and transform their lives. I mean, truth and equity, you can pay your mortgage off 25 years faster than you ever thought possible. So to tell people about that really feels good because they do it. We've helped people get better business loans and avoid getting crushed by debts. And these are things that really impact people. And at my website at moneyanswers.com, I get all kinds of emails all the time from all kinds of people from should I go bankrupt or not to I have a million dollars to invest to what should I do with it and everything in between. So that feels good. It feels good. I'm helping people. I make a little something from it. And to me, it's journalism in action. So that's that was my passion from early on is doing journalism and then doing something that really affects people as opposed to like political mudslinging, which is like, okay, that's fine, but that's not really helping individual people too much. So with all that said, what's your dreams for the future look like at this point? Well, using new media, that that's the new thing I'm doing next now. So I've had my Money Answers radio show for 10 years, and now I'm going to be launching Money Answers TV, where I'm going to be doing interviews with all my affiliates and get it out over YouTube and Twitter and kind of using all the social media platforms. Again, I'm always looking at the next thing and, and reach a lot of people who I haven't reached so far. I've got great resources um, and books and all this stuff, but I, there's a lot more people to reach. And so I'm trying to do it. So that's that's one thing I do. Another new thing I'm doing is something called MWR Life, which is Make Wealth Real, which is a whole kind of financial education enlightenment company that I'm doing seminars for and teleseminars and a video library and they have all kinds of wonderful financial services. So that we talked about opportunity before somebody heard me somewhere and said, you know, would you be interested in this? And it's a great thing. And it's classic passive income because it's done through multi-level marketing. So people tell each other about it and I'm at the, they put me at the top of the pyramid. So as everybody joins, I get a piece of the action completely passively. I'm doing my thing, which is financial education, giving them resources. And meanwhile, they're building this whole base of thousands of people. And so what I'm doing is contributing to that. And I benefit from it by everybody signing each other up. So it's another example of kind of passive income. So I'm always open. A lot of people have opportunities, but they're not open to receiving the possibilities. And they have to keep your mind open to pursuing things that show up that you don't know if it's going to work out or not, but often it does. So a lot of people are very kind of closed minded. They've got, and they think they have to do it all themselves and it limits their potential growth and the kind of number of people it can affect. So how can people connect with you, Jordan? So moneyanswers.com is my website. I'd love to get emails from your listeners and help them in all kinds of ways. At Money Answers, I've got all kinds of resources and phone numbers and links and videos and my books and just all kinds of stuff. So that's the central place. Um, but I love to give speeches. So I'm just out there and love to help anyway. And that's the way to reach me through moneyanswers.com. Awesome. Well, I will definitely have that in the show notes and uh, I encourage everyone to to check it out and uh, go, go and learn more. I, I, I'm interested to hear about how I can pay my mortgage <laughs> Uh, off in, in just a few years time at this point um, Absolutely. after we get off. Jordan, is there any last thoughts you'd like to share before we wrap up here? I'm very optimistic, as you can see. Um, get a good idea, something that people really need. 
It should be your passion. Clearly, what I'm talking about is my passion. Follow it, and you can be an extremely successful business, as lots of people have been. Get the business skills, the kind of things that you teach people all the time, and there's nothing stopping you in, in today's economy. I would agree. Thank you so much for taking the time, Jordan. I, I really appreciate you coming on the Dreamers podcast today. Thanks so much, Joe. Really appreciate it. I'd love to have you on again in the future, follow up and see how everything's going, especially with your, your TV venture uh, you know, going forward. Glad to do it. There'll always be something new with me. <laughs> Seems to be that way. Seems to be that way. And I don't I don't blame you. I I, just, I, I completely understand. Um, and if you've enjoyed this episode of the Dreamers podcast, you know, leaving a late of was it <laughs> a rating and a review on iTunes, that's awesome. And I and I do appreciate it. But really, just tell a friend about it. And uh, you know, if you you've enjoyed this episode with Jordan and, and learning about personal finance and business finance and uh, how you can Im- improve your situation and decrease your your stress levels uh, based around debt. Uh, please just just share it with with somebody else that you think could uh, have uh, you know hopefully they won't take take offense <laughs> that you think that they're in bad financial shape but um you know it's like getting the 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 was it the um, treadmill for for your wife or or for your loved one. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, share this episode, share the show. Uh, I would really appreciate it. Jordan, thank you so much again for taking the time. I really do appreciate Appreciate it. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the dreamers podcast. Follow us on Twitter at dreamers podcast. Join us on Facebook at facebook.com slash dreamers podcast. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on the Dreamers Podcast, please send an email to j at jpar.co. This podcast is copyright 2014 by jpar.co.